So I'm going to start today's scripture. I think you've had time to write the memory verse now. I'm going to start today's scripture, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. It's part of a, a hymn, a poem, a well-known, probably well-known poem that Paul's quoting here. I'm going to read this to us, and then we'll dig into it to see what God's Spirit has for us today. Philippians 2, 5 starts like this. Paul writes to his church, he writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We pray to you, dear God, that we might all know this. Even those of us who would say this morning, we already know Jesus Show us today that we didn't know him as well as we thought we did. Introduce us again to your Son, our Lord, so that we can, full-throated, at the top of our lungs, say that, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and of earth, of the past, the present, and the future, of this world and of the kingdom that is to come, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We know a couple of things from the history of the church. From If you've grown up in church, you know these two statements I'm about to give you, but jot them down anyways. Humor me. There's a lot we're going to be writing down today. You see the notes page, you get, you get twice for your money today, you get double for your money, a two-sided notes page. Usually I just use the, uh, the one page there. But today you get an insert that you can take home with you, stick it in your Bible, or think about it at the dinner table tonight. We know a couple of facts. We know, first of all, that God is a trinity. God is trinity, and by trinity I mean this. We worship one God, eternally extant, in three persons, hang with me, it might sound deep, but just stick with me, it's going to be okay, I promise, it's not going to hurt. We worship one God, eternally extant in three persons, revealed to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. That's factoid numero uno. God is Trinity. Factoid numero dos. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Jesus is fully 
God and fully human. Now, having stated those factoids aloud and having asked you to write them down, the question then becomes, are these facts simply abstract statements of truth or do they mean something to you? By abstract statements of truth, here's what I mean by that. Salt, table salt. Salt is made of two elements. Taylor, what are they? Sodium. There you go, sodium chloride, right? <laughs> he did. Ooh. Are you awake? Yeah. Be careful. You never know who's next. Oh, yeah, Blaze. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. I, well, I won't promise not to call on anybody else, but I won't call on you. Sodium chloride, right? One atom of sodium, one atom of chloride. Is it chloride or chlorine? Whichever. They come together and they create a molecule of salt. You know this. I know this. I passed the test, got the grade from, from high school. But so what? What difference does it make that I know that NaCl is salt? What difference does it make? Is that how God being a trinity or Jesus being fully God and fully man impacts you? Or does the fact that God is trinity or that Jesus is fully God and fully man impact you like the fact that mom loves me? Dad's going to take care of me. My friends like me. I love you. Is that the level on which those facts operate? I'm going to try to show you this morning that these statements about who Jesus is matter on that level, the, le the, the level of mom loves me, dad's going to care for me, my friends like me. The hymn from Philippians chapter 2, it started a forest fire of debate that lasted for hundreds of years among the first Christians. We're talking mean disagreements, chasing each other down, finding out where the other people are having dinner and protesting and shouting them down with, with signs and banners and foghorns. They didn't have foghorns, but you get the picture you think our problems that we argue with, like big tech silencing certain voices, right? That's a problem. You think that our, what else do we, do, we, do, we, do we love to argue about today? Critical race theory. Our church ancestors would have loved something as simple as critical race theory to debate because they were talking about the person of Jesus himself. And their debates got vicious, life-threatening, career-ending, family-destroying debates. We should be grateful to them for what they went through. We take for granted certain facts, like that Jesus was fully God, meaning he was never created, and he was fully man, meaning that he was tempted in every way. They couldn't take that for granted. That was a fight 
that took years to figure out. The fight went something like this. And in your notes page, I have a little bit of a chart. So just, just kind of glance at it. It's going to be on the screen. You glance at the one in the chart as I, as I explain to you what this fight in the fourth century was like. What, the fight goes something like this. What does it mean that Jesus is, as Philippians 2 says, in very nature God? Well, you have two schools of thought because you see there was this mega church pastor. His name was Arius. And he was a bishop in North Africa. Really, really popular. And he, he was kind of like the guy writing all the Christian books that you see at Barnes & Noble. Yeah, he was that guy. And Arius offered a solution for a problem. He said that Jesus wasn't exactly God, but that Jesus was a kind of Superman. Well, the problem was a certain number of other bishops, like other influential pastors and preachers and authors, right? They're doing the other conferences. They said Arius is wrong, and they weren't going to be quiet about it. They understood that the consequences of teaching to the world that Jesus was created and not God would be a big, big deal. So what's at stake? Let's say Jesus is God. I'm looking at your chart now. If Jesus is God, that means he's uncreated. Okay, fine. But if he's a superman, that means he's the first and most powerful of the created things. Okay? So far, maybe both options are on the table. If Jesus is God, but, but Jesus was also human. We all know that Jesus was human. He walked here. He lived here. The books all testify to this. Can, can, can he be human if he's also God? I mean, all the humans that we know were created. And what the heck is an uncreated human? Uh, the Arius, Arius and his folks said, that's no problem. If Jesus is a superman, this isn't a problem for us. It's no problem him being human. He's a super man. If, they, well, if he's God, go back to now the other. Athanasius is the name, by the way, of his main foe in this argument. Go back to that one. What does it mean that he is one with the Father? How can he be God and be one? Can God be divided? Is God like, like scoops of ice cream? God's this big ice cream tub, and he can just take a scoop of himself and put it over there, and that's Jesus? That doesn't make much sense. The, the, the Jesus is a Superman folk. They said, no problem. No problem. He's separate from the Father. This isn't a problem for us. He's... And then the people who are saying Jesus is God, they got another question coming. They said, well, is God confused? I mean, where does the Father end and the sun begin. And what if they disagree? You see how we got the we got a can of worms just kind of getting opened up, right? And the, the, the Jesus is a Superman folk. They're saying, not a problem, not a problem. Jesus, we, it's just like the military. You don't have any confusion here. You have a chain of command. It's just like military ranks. God's a general. The Father's a general. The Son is the whatever... The, What's right below a general? Major? No. I've been out of the military too long. 
Lieutenant General, be my little general. The Lieutenant General is a three-star, still a general. But you're right. So <laughs> where is this going? Where? I should have just used Navy. God's the admiral, Father's the admiral, and the son is the captain. Okay? There. We'll do it that way. I was in the Navy. Anyways. Now, though, we haven't settled the issue. Okay, so you, you Superman folk, you think you've got the, our questions solved, but we've got some questions for you, say the God folk. Now, the God folk say, if Jesus is God, he can never die. But if he's just a Superman, well, well there was once upon, once upon a time he, wasn't, he didn't exist, so maybe one, one day he won't exist again. And then what use is he to us if he doesn't exist anymore? And then the God folk would say, if Jesus is God, he can do absolutely anything. But if he's just a Superman, answer me this, can he save us? Can he save us? Is he big enough? And then, and this is the one that actually would end up winning the day for Athanasius and the God crowd. Jesus is God. He must be worshipped. But if he is just a superman, what business do you have worshiping him? And see, the Arius people were worshiping him as God in all of their churches and, they, and in their prayers. They were praying to him. And that's a violation of the first commandment. The solution was the first council of Nicaea. The emperor, Constantine at the time, he really wanted this argument settled because it was a great big distraction, and frankly, he was confused too. He waffled back and forth. He didn't know what to think. He did what emperors do. He tried to argue, settle the problem by force. First, he tried shutting up one side. Then he tried shutting up the other side. It wouldn't work. So he said, okay, you guys, I'm locking you all in a room, and you're not getting out until you figure out what the truth is. Who is Jesus, or maybe what is Jesus? And from Nicaea, they came out with the creed, and we said it already today, but the key, the key statement from that creed is, for today anyways, for my, my message today, is that we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father, before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Of the same essence of the Father. And the Latin word they used there was homoousios. The same essence. He's the exact same stuff as God the Father. Okay. Great. That wouldn't solve the problem, by the way. They, they came up with their, their truth and they condemned Arius as a heretic... But it would take many more years before the problems would go away. And indeed, they still haven't. People still are confused today about who or maybe what Jesus is. So you might be thinking, okay, Pastor, great. Thanks for the history lesson. But listen, I have bills. The kids are sick. My love life's a mess. The news makes me angry. And frankly, I'm more than a little depressed. 
Why should I care about whether Jesus is God or a Superman? And how does that help me? And that's a great question. How is the fact that God is triune, that means he is trinity, and that Jesus is fully God and fully man, how are those facts more like the truth of love and less like the factoid that salt is sodium and chloride? Well, here's why it matters today. You ready? Number one, because Jesus is God, Jesus is big enough. Because Jesus is God, Jesus is big enough. This means that in a world of bad guys, the good guy is the biggest. In a world of bad guys, the good guy is the biggest. The good guy is unstoppable. Actually, in a world of puzzles, there is a solution. In a world of puzzles, there is a solution. And in a world of sin, there is one who is big enough and good enough and powerful enough to be a savior. Number two, because Jesus is human, love can be trusted. Let's go back to our scripture. Paul says that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by being Come by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, the most scandalous type of death, the most painful, horrific type of death. Do you know what's harder than dying for somebody you love? Maybe in the movies, somebody will profess their love. I love you so much, I would die for you. You know what's harder than dying for somebody you love? Living, living for somebody you love? Jesus did die for us, but almost as impressive as that is that he lived for us. He emptied himself. He poured his life out, making himself nothing for you. See, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe that God is loving. Because God can be God and God can be loving all while leaving me with the terrifying question of, does God love me? But God taking on our flesh is God's resolute answer to that fearful question. Yes, yes, you are lovable. And yes, you are loved. You are a treasure of heaven, so valuable that God would empty himself, God would leave heaven to find you, to take your demons upon himself, obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
He would empty himself, leave heaven, come here to find you, to take your demons upon himself, all so that you could be with him in his kingdom forever. True love is real. True love can be trusted. And true love is right here. You know what a lover is? A lover is someone who uses his power and influence for the good of the beloved. A lover is someone who uses his power and influence for the good of the beloved. This kind of lover is rare. It is rare on earth. And even the lovers who do this for us on earth, there are limits to how far they'll go, huh? And they're not perfect. Sometimes they're cranky and they love themselves more than they love us. Even mothers and children. Even mothers and children. I know, can you believe it? but not so with Jesus. Jesus was fully God. As fully God, he had everything. He lacked nothing. Jesus demonstrated what love is by doing what love does. While we were still sinners, Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinning, Jesus died for us. Because Jesus is human, True love is out there. It's real. It exists. And it can be trusted. Number three, <clears throat> excuse me. Number three, because Jesus is God and human, I can rest in a beautiful mystery. Those guys at that Nicene Council, they didn't have much rest back in those days because they were busy fighting. Probably a lot of sleepless nights. A lot of stress. What the heck does it mean that I can rest in a beautiful mystery? I'll tell you. It means that if you are a figure-it-outer and you just have to solve the puzzle, you just have to, like me, it means that you can just chillax for a minute. Relax. Jesus is not supposed to be a puzzle that you solve. He's a lover that you accept. He's a lover that you let love you. And if I could explain to you, or if those those old bishops at Nicaea could explain to you all of the mysteries of God to your satisfaction, to where there's no more questions anymore and you have it all figured out, then the one thing I can be sure I haven't explained to you is the real God. Does that make sense? Let me say it another way, maybe more. If I could explain God to your satisfaction, then the one thing I have not done is explain God, the real God. Does that make sense? Yes? Somebody repeat? Okay. See, there, is, there are some things that are going to confuse us about God, but in Christ, confusing does not equal confounding. Who's the Looney Tunes character who was always being confounded by that wascally wabbit? I think that was his confound it, right? That was his word. In Christ, 
the, the questions that we have, they're not confounding. Confusing becomes a consolation. Thank God that you are deeper than my thoughts can think, that you're bigger than my imagination can contain. In verse 9, Paul says, Therefore, because the Son emptied himself, left heaven to find you, to take your demons upon yourself, to forgive you, to remake you, so that he could be with you forever. Because Jesus did that, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The final point for today is that because Jesus, being both God and man, died and rose again, glorification awaits. Glorification awaits. Jesus, dying as a man, he paid to death an infinite price. Jesus went through hell for you so hell would have no claim on you. Because Jesus is God, the payment for your debts is paid in full. Ransom is the word that the Bible will use to talk about what God did for you. I'll use some Old Testament imagery, if you'll allow me a little bit creative license, to talk about what that means for you and for me, that Jesus did that. What it means is, when you enter into death, there will be a door with your name on it. And you'll go to enter the door, and you'll find it is locked. You'll notice above the door, and on the doorposts, blood. The blood of a perfect sacrifice the Lamb of God who was offered up for you. And you will be turned away from that door that has your name on it. And someone will say to you, uh-uh, that's not for you. And a stone will be rolled away. And into the darkness will surge the brightest light that you can imagine. And you will pass through this other doorway where the stone used to set, and you will enter into the brilliance of a new city, of a holy city, the new Jerusalem. As you step out of that cave and into the light, the roar of angels and men will enrapture you. Your body, yes, you'll have a body, but it'll be, it'll be unlike any body you've had or could imagine, but you'll, it'll also fit you like a glove. 
the glory of God the Father will shine around you, and you'll look into the face of God the Son. And you will know then by sight what you only know now by faith. You will see then clearly what you only see now as if you're looking through a darkened glass. And you will be fully known and fully loved. Yeah, you have bills. The kids are sick. Your love life is a mess. The news makes you angry, and frankly, you're more than a little depressed. Why should you think about whether Jesus is God? What other thought can possibly help you? We thank you so much, dear Father, for the scriptures that you've given to us. And we thank you so much, dear Father, that you love us so much that even while we were sinners, you didn't give up on us, but instead you saw in us potential. Potential to be glorified sons and daughters. As we think about what that might look like, the new heavens, the new earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can't possibly begin to imagine what those realities are like, yet those realities are coming. Those realities are ultimate realities. I would pray, Lord, that all of us would have that sure and certain knowledge that because of Jesus we have a place in that forever kingdom. And that if there be any who don't know that they have a place in that kingdom, that you would even now touch that person's heart and bid them to come to you to ask for forgiveness, to ask to be adopted into your forever family, to be forgiven and remade, and to begin a life of faith, a life of faith, a journey that even if it begins today will never, ever end. What an opportunity that sits before us today. May we not harden our hearts as we did when we were rebels, as we did when we were lost. All of us were there at one point. May we not harden our hearts today. Break our hearts of stone, Holy Spirit. so that we might call you Lord and live for you. Amen.